book of Nehemiah, chapter 3. I'm going to be referring to several verses in this chapter, so I'm not going to read all the chapter for the sake of time and also a whole bunch of names in this chapter that uh, I'm not too familiar with. Uh, so I'm not guaranteeing the correct pronunciation. Let's just read verse 1 and pray, and then we'll get into the message. Then Elishib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Meah. They sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for another opportunity to preach the word of God. Thank you for each one that's come this way tonight. And Lord, we need you, and I pray you'd help us, Lord. We want to be used of the Lord and... I pray prepare my heart and the hearts of the people that we might receive from your hand. Lord, give wisdom and understanding. Bless your word. Bless our fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Talk to you about the 12 gates of Nehemiah. Judah had been in captivity for 70 years. The Medes and the Persians were nine power. And under Ezra, they return and rebuild the city. Fourteen years later, the walls were still not repaired. Nehemiah was the cup barrier to King Artaxerxes, and he was sad in the king's presence. Now the cup barrier was the most trusted man in the kingdom. Every bite of food that the king ate, everything that he drank, the cup barrier, first of all, tasted it. Someone wanted to poison the king, then Nehemiah was the one that... Uh, got it first and he would die. He was a very trusted man. But he was sad in the presence of the king and, and when the king asked him about his sadness, he lets him know that he's sad because the walls of the city still are in disrepair. And uh, he is given permission to travel to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls and set up the gates to the city. And you have that story in the book of Nehemiah. And in chapter 3, you have a description of the 12 gates to the city. Uh, 12 has to do with governmental perfection or rule, uh, the elective purposes of God, the mystical number of God's chosen people, the 12 tribes of Israel. There will be 12 gates in the New Jerusalem. Each gate will be made of pearl. The gates of the city are pearl. Not a combination of pearls, but one pearl. Now, uh, the gates to a city were the centers of public life. You remember a lot sitting in the gate. And in our cities, you used to, they were built around uh, the center of uh, the courthouse, and usually if you want to conduct business in a town, or used to anyway, you go to the center of the town, there you would find uh, the courthouse and, and the governmental offices. That way people could come travel the equal amount of distance from all parts of the city. But in those days, they had wall cities. And uh, they would travel in through the gates, so it just made sense. If you had business, instead of having to travel to the middle of the city, you went in through the gate, and there you could conduct your business. 
and uh, markets were held around them. Brother Hickok's talking about the markets in many countries. They still have the open-air markets. When I was in Israel, they had the open-air markets. And uh, other Mexico, when I was there, you could buy anything from a goat head to whatever. Flies come free. But uh, the marketplace, the prophets gave their message there in the markets, usually in the, in the gates of the city. Also, gossip and idling, uh, you know, uh, took place in those areas. I was thinking about, I, was, I, was vis I think I was visiting Donald this week, and he was showing me a couple of items there that someone had whittled out for him. You know what whittling is? You're old country folks, aren't you? You know what whittling is. And I, I can't remember where he's at. We, maybe it was on, while we was on vacation, uh, we saw some, some items that were whittled. And little, tiny, little, tiny items showed. These little small items have been whittled out. Now, my wife probably knows exactly where I'm talking about. But, uh, uh, you know, that, that was sometime the pastime of people. For TV, I guess, and, and uh, Loafer's Glory. I used to work when I lived in, uh, uh, in uh, Catawba County. I used to work with a man, and we used to talk about Loafer. He said, ain't no such a place as Loafer's Glory. You're just making that up. And uh, so one day I found a postcard with some fellows sitting on the bank twiddling. <laughs> so I got it and tuck it to him. I said, here's the proof. Loafer's glory. Someone kidded and said that's where all the preachers retired too. All the loafers. <laughs> but anyway, the marketplace, the gates to the city. Well, let's look at a few of them tonight. We, uh, you know, don't have a heart attack. I'm not going to try to get all 12. I don't expect to. But uh, anyway, uh, some one preacher said I'm going to talk real fast. So you're going to have to listen fast. But uh, the sheep gate is the first one we read about here in verse 1. They builded the sheep gate. This is where they started. This is where they finished. If you read the last verse. Now the sacrificial lambs were led through this gate. The sheep gate. Those that were to be offered in sacrifice uh, to God in the temple area there. And there was a pool nearby. Uh, where the sheep were washed. If you'll, find, if you'll study John chapter 5, you'll find the story of the lame man that had been there for 38 years. They believed that at a certain season, an angel would come down and trouble the water. And whoever got in the water first was cured of whatever illness they had. And Jesus uh, inquired and asked the man about this and and uh, would you, do you want to be healed? And he said, Lord, I have no man. I have nobody to put me in the water. And isn't that the cry of a lost world? Talk about this mission trip, and importance of that. I have no man. There's a world dying without Christ that somebody needs to tell them. I have no man to get me. And while, you know, while I'm trying to get someone to get me in the water, someone else gets in first. Can you imagine the desperation? 38 years. 
Would you have become discouraged and said there's no use? You might as well forget it. You're never going to be healed. But I'll tell you, he had something better than an angel trouble in the water. He had something better than someone to put him in the water. All the Lord had to do was speak the word. He had the, the one that could heal all disease. And it was at this gate that this wonderful story took place there. You can read about in the book of John there. Everybody must begin at this gate. It's a picture of the blood, the sacrificial lamb. There's where it all begins, is get your sins washed away in the blood of Christ. By the way, that's the only thing can wash them away. While like those songs, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And uh, I don't agree with those who say, oh, it's not the blood of Christ. It's his, it's his death. I don't want to tell you, Jesus Christ, if he had died in bed, there'd have been, we would have no Savior. He had to pay for our sins. He had to die a sacrificial death. Christ died, that's history. Christ shed his blood, that's salvation. And it's the blood of Christ that takes sin away and pays for sin. If we get to heaven, we have to have our sin paid for. Because if you die with a sin not paid for, you're going to have to go to hell and start paying for it and you never get it paid for. But uh, with Jesus, our sins are removed. Now, Nehemiah, finishes up at this gate, we notice that. Uh, I want to read in Revelation 5, two or three verses for you along this line. Revelation 5, uh, when we enter the gates of heaven, Revelation 5 and verse 6, And I beheld, lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth, into all the earth. Notice the lamb as it had been slain. Songs have been written about the nail prints in the hands of Jesus. They're not nail prints, they're wounds. Zechariah tells us when Jesus comes, the Jews will say, what are these wounds in thine hands? That it have, those, this, those nails were put there over 2,000 years before when this happens, yet they will still be holes in his hands. Jesus will forever bear the, the uh, wounds of our redemption. And so he says, He came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. When he had taken the book, the four beasts, four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. Open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. By thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. When we enter that gate, we'll say, Lord, it's through your blood that we're here. We're here because you paid for our sins. We're here because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's no salvation without the blood of Christ. The sheep gate. Then we look in verse 3. We find another gate called the fish gate. The fish gate. Now this is where the fish from the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee were brought to sail. 
One writer says, just follow your nose and you could find the sheep gate. <laughs> you know, there's nothing stinks quite like fish, are there? Old fish anyway. I like fish. Uh, I like trout especially. like to catch them. like to eat them. And, and all, all about it. But anyway, this was the fish gate. And it is a picture, it follows the sheep gate because it, it, it illustrates service for Christ. We are saved to serve Christ. We're saved to fish. You say, well, where's that at in the Bible? Well, in Matthew chapter 4, and I'm not speaking literally there, I'm speaking in a spiritual sense. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and 19 and 20. Page 998, if you want to find Matthew 5, 4, rather. Matthew 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Now they didn't fish for pleasure, they fished to eat. And uh, this was their, uh, their uh, thing they did. And their occupation. And he saith unto them, Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. They were fishing for better things. Fishing for men. And so God saves us at the sheep gate through the sacrifice, through the blood of Christ. And when he saves us then, we are, we are saved to serve. Have you ever won anybody to Christ? You say, no, not really. Well, have you ever tried? Some people, you know, some people don't, don't uh, uh, win anybody because they don't try to win anybody. You never catch any fish unless you try. I told someone, say, do you catch anything? No. That's the reason they call it fishing, not catching. <laughs> but you never catch any if you don't fish. <laughs> And listen, you never catch any souls if you don't fish for them. You've got to try. You've got to plant some seed and, and uh, make yourself available. And listen, everybody needs to be saved that isn't saved. Now sometimes in our area, it's hard to find someone who will admit they're lost. You know, the first step in getting saved is knowing you're lost. Jesus came, to call, came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he, he, he came, he came to, 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 to help the sick, sick spiritually. And so we need to work at it. Now the Bible says here in verse 5, Next unto them the Tokite, whatever there, Tokite, I can't pronounce it, Tekites, something like that, repaired. But their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Well, uh, there were some, you know, that... Uh, you know, there's always letting someone else do, do all the works. Kind of like someone said, everybody in the average church is willing. 90, uh, 10% are willing to do all the work, 90% is willing to let them. And so the nobles, they weren't willing to do anything. And, uh, you know, sometimes there are too many chiefs, not enough Indians, aren't they? Uh, but everybody needs to be involved in, in, in trying to win people to Christ. The fish gate. Then he talks about the old gate. Verse 4, Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoiada, the son of Poseidon, and uh, these others, and talked about what they did. So 
This is the old gate. We talked about that this morning. Now some say this gate belonged to ancient Salem, built by Melchizedek, Hebrews 7. I don't know where that's so or not. But in Jeremiah 6, 16, we use this morning, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? Walk therein, ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. God said, Ask for the old paths, the old ways. Some things we need to stick with and not, to, not depart from. Proverbs twenty two twenty eight: Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Now, there's some things don't need to be changed. Someone asked B.R. Lakin, says, what we need to do is get back, uh, get back to old time preaching. He said, I don't have to get back. I never left it. <laughs> That's the way it ought to be. You know, God's given us a Bible that never needs changing, that never needs correcting, that never needs updating. We have a Bible. We have an old book that's good and sound and you can believe it and stand on it. And, and, and it'll, it'll not lead you wrong. Isn't that wonderful? You, you live by the Word of God, it'll never lead you wrong. Now, you don't have to evaluate it and say, wonder if this is right and that's right and critique it and all this. You can just believe it. So we don't need to change the Bible. We don't need to change the plan of salvation. God has one way of being saved, always has had. He's not going to change it. Uh, one God, same God, God of our grandparents, God of the good old days, still God today. And we don't have to invent a new God for this generation. So the old gate, the old ways, the good old days, he'd be pleased. A lot of things about them as we talked about this morning wasn't too good, I don't guess, but uh, the things that were good we need to retain. and We need to get back to, back to those things that matter in life and, and sometimes it's, it's easy to get off track and before you know it you've, uh, you've, you've spent your life and, and have nothing to show for it. Well, the old gate, they repair. Listen, I'll tell you, uh, when old Nebuchadnezzar came in there, he, he, he demolished this place, didn't he? I mean, he tore down the wall, the gates, destroyed the gates and, and the city and and uh, there wasn't much left when he got through with it. But old Nehemiah, he took a group in there and he had a lot of opposition. But he just kept on working in spite of the opposition, just kept on doing what God wanted him to do. You know, some people give up and quit and they throw in the towel and someone hollers boo at them and they take off and run. But we need to stay with the work. The Bible said they had a mind to work and they stayed with the job. The old gate, the old ways. Then we have the fourth gate. And uh, that's in verse 13. Uh, uh, here, the valley gate. The valley gate repaired Hanan. And then the heavens of Zenoah, they built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and thousand cubits on the wall until the dung gate. So here is the valley gate. This opened before the valley of Hinnon, or the valley of Gehenna. This is where it means broken and it speaks of humility. You know, uh, uh, talks about uh, the Valley of Gehenna there. And, uh, you know, they, had, they burned the trash outside the city. Every city has to have a trash dump, don't they? And, uh, boy, I wonder sometimes what they do with all the trash. I know Billy went with a friend up to New York City. 
And he said they set the trash out in the streets. And, of course, the garbage trucks come by and picks it up and carries it off. Uh, but we manufacture a lot of trash. And I don't have much use for these trashy people throwing trash out on the highways. That's about as sorry as you can get. I hope nobody here tonight's guilty of that, but if you are, I don't, I don't take back what I said. I mean, somebody's going to pick that mess up. And they go out there and try to mow and all that trash and, and those mowers cut it up and blow it everywhere. And it's an awful mess! It's a simple thing. If you've got a trash bag in your vehicle or something, you know, a little garbage thing there and and, uh, you know, these little plastic bags you get at the grocery store, I mean, they give them to you. It don't cost nothing. Hang one of them up or stick one in the car or truck and stick your trash in there and when you get home, throw it in the garbage. I can't understand why people throw their trash out on the highway. That's uncalled for. Uh, and that don't cost you nothing, that political segment and nothing to do with politics. <laughs> That's just good sense. But anyway, they, I don't know how I got off on that, <laughs> uh, but, but the, uh, the, the Valley of Gehenna, the, the place where they burn the trash, and uh, the Lord used this, it was a continual burning, and he used that to typify hell. Hell is a place of eternal fire and worms, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Now some say that's talking about uh, the soul never dies. Uh, one one uh, Bible scholar said, said it, uh, it's maggots. He said that's what it's talking about. Uh, but anyway, the Lord used uh, that, that place to to tell us about hell. But anyway, the valley here means broken and it really speaks of humility. And Jesus humbled himself in Philippians chapter 2 and uh, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus, who was rich, became poor that we through his poverty might be rich. The valley gate. Everybody has their valley. Not their valley, but their valleys. You know, the Bible says in the Song of Solomon 2 and verse 1, you can turn there and read it. You don't have to turn there now. But I used to misquote that verse, and you probably misquoted it. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. But it don't say that exactly, does it? You can look it up and read it. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of of the valleys, there's an S on it. There's more than one valley in life to go through. But I want to tell you, Jesus says, I'll be there in every one of them. Aren't you glad? He didn't say, I'll be there in this valley, but in the next valley. Now, I grew up in the mountains, and that's all you got, mountains and hollers and valleys and... <laughs> And you go over one mountain into a valley and up another mountain down into another valley and people say, where do you live? I live out this holler. Now you talk like that to some people and they don't know what you're talking about. They don't know what a holler is. But you understand tonight. 
because a lot of you was raised in the holler <laughs> or a valley. The valley gate. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Every one of them, thank God he'll be there. I think of someone said every great preacher has had to be broken. I never thought I'd have to face what others have faced, but I did. Lee Robinson, Count Joy there, was named after his daughter. He had to give up. Dr. Harold Seiler, you know, was away at a meeting, I understand, when his daughter was killed in a car accident, almost killed his wife. I remember the story right. I'm not certain about the details of that. But on and on I could go. The brokenness, the valley, the gate, the valley gate. If you haven't been through it, you'll have to travel it. Not only one gate, but you'll probably have to go through more than one. Down in the valley. In the valley, someone said he rode, he restoreth my soul. But I'll tell you, the God of the mountain is still God of the valley. Aren't you glad? He's the same God. In fact, he's more real in the valleys than he is on the mountain. I've been there. I don't know how many more valleys are ahead of me before I ascend that great high mountain and set foot in the city of God. The valley gate. Then there's the dung gate. There again in verse 14, the dung gate repaired Makai, the son of Rechab, the ruler of part of Beth Hecarim, he built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. This is where the refuge and filth of the city was carried through and burned. It symbolized rejection and reproach for Christ's sake. Jesus said in John 15, they hated him. The crucifixion, they spit on him. He was ridiculed. 1 Corinthians 4, 13 says, We're made of the filth of the world, or as the offscaring of all things unto this day. You know, if you're a child of God, you need to expect everybody to love you, everybody to say how, what a wonderful person you are. You're going to have your time of rejection and reproach. You're going to have your time of, of when people don't understand. I like people, and I like for people to like me, but I had to come to the place and realize one day that everybody, everybody's not going to like you like you like for them to. Think of Jesus Christ, the perfect man. Jesus Christ who never done any harm to anybody. They hated him. They hated him. Despised him. The dung gate. Then the fountain gate. This will be number six, and we'll cut it to in the middle of this message. And we find that in verse 15. But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalem, the son of Colhose, the ruler of part of Mizpah. He built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, the bars thereof, and the wall of the pool of Siloah by the king's garden. And 
to the stairs that go down into the city of David and so forth. The fountain gate. This is next to the pool of Siloam. John chapter 9. Where Jesus told the blind man to go and wash. I believe if I remember the story correctly, he spit in the clay and made the pace and listen, put dirt. People look at that and say, what are you doing? Worst thing in the world to put in your eyes is dirt, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus knew what he was doing. Put that in his eyes and says, you go wash in the, the pool of Siloam. And he went and washed and came seeing. This happened at this gate, the fountain gate. And he speaks of the filling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned those men that have been broken. Another thing that characterized their success and God's using them like he did is the filling of the Holy Spirit, a power greater than themselves, that infilling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And I'm pleased that God could use me. I used to be real shy and bashful and backward. To stand before a crowd and preach is when I was a youngster. If you'd have said one day you'll be doing that, I'd say you are out of your mind. Not me. <laughs> That's what God wants in our life. John chapter 4, let's turn there and we'll close out with this. John chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus talking to this woman of Samaria. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. Well, she was talking about physical water and Jesus talking about spiritual water. Conversation, a familiar story goes on and she leaves a water pot and goes to the city and tells the men, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Someone said she left her water pot and took the well home with her. Well, she got something better than water. She got Jesus. She got eternal life. Then in chapter 7 of John, chapter 37 through 39, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. That is, the Holy Spirit did not come to indwell forever as he does now, when you're born again. But Jesus said, if you're thirsty, I've got what you need. I've got the living water. Nothing satisfies like Jesus, does it? Thirsty. You know what they say? I, I'm taking this medicine now. And the nurse said, now I want you to, I want you to drink. Seems like I'm, I have a greater thirst, which is good. I want you to drink a lot of water. I don't want you to drink tea. I want you to drink coffee. I don't want you to drink soft drinks. I want you to drink water. And they're saying now that water is the best thing you can drink. 
good for you. God knew what he was doing, didn't he? By the way, we was in Washington. Carolyn said, I'm thirsty. Of course, when she's thirsty, she wants a Diet Coke. Diet Pepsi, not Coke. Pepsi, I think, is what she drinks. I said, that thing just makes you thirstier. How much is it? Two dollars. <laughs> I told you this morning, when I was growing up, you could buy six for a quarter. Two dollars for one. She said, you can have a sup of mine. So I drank, <laughs> we drank it together. And on down, I said, I'm still thirsty. Stopped this place, and they had water. I said, I want some water. How much is it? Two dollars. A little cup of water. Who would have ever thought you could get rich off of water? Water. It's a wonderful thing. Think about those poor souls in hell. Think about getting thirsty because it's sunny and you're sweating. You think about what hell must be like. Never a drop of water. Have you ever thought about that rich man in hell? You know, it's been, it's, I don't know how long you've been there when Jesus told the story, but uh, it's been nearly 2,000 years if it had happened recently when Jesus told it. By the way, it was a, it was a real story, real, real man. You think about that poor man while we're, while we're here in this air-conditioned building tonight in comfort. Let's say for 2,000 years, that man still hadn't got any water. For 2,000 years, he still hadn't gotten any. He can't ever, he can't ever die, that is, cease to exist. He's already dead physically, but he can't cease to exist and it all be, wouldn't it be wonderful if, if he could just cease to exist and it all be over? But that can't happen. Not ever. Hell is, like the scripture by the Hickox read, listen, hell is more awful than we could ever comprehend. And the wonderful thing is that we've got the living water. We've got what people need to keep out of such an awful, awful place. And it's their business to share it. It's about it.